I kind of did. Um, I think it peaked at the Venice Film Festival. Um, you know, everyone's turning looks, so it's it, both visually interesting and, you know, they're all together in one place. So it's like, ooh, what are they thinking about each other? Um, I want to state my opinion on this, first of all, for God and everyone to hear. I don't think this was fabricated by Warner Brothers. I don't think the drama was artificial because I think they would have rathered everyone be excited about like, oh, there's this like really interesting you know film coming from this woman director because they only have enough money to advertise two movies for the back half of 2022, this and Black Adam. Um, those are the only Warner Brothers releases coming out for uh, the rest of this year. So that I, I remember that was being proposed as like, this is fake. This I is think like a, is real. a viral marketing kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. But you didn't watch it at all. No. If I just YouTube Harry spit, what will be the first <laughs> thing that comes up? Chris Pine responds to the spit. No, I feel like I feel like you're not going to find it on YouTube because no. it's going to be like a million talking heads being like, like a, a, a like soy facing like yeah. still of them being like what Harry Styles spit on Twitter yeah so that's... I'm gonna spit in my chew me up and spit me out <laughs> nothing left to lose uh, videos trying to see what color people choose yes okay uh, yeah I, I like a nice All right. um, sorry before we continue I like a nice um Dark mode on Twitter, but not the darkest you can go, and like an orange for the for the <laughs> buttons. So yeah, this is um, Olivia Wilde, Christopher Pine, and Harrison <laughs> Styles. Uh, they're sitting there. So, sorry to describe this. I'm just going to keep it on a loop. When is the? I don't even see him spit. Okay, the alleged spit. <laughs> Look, let's frame by frame. <laughs> okay. So okay, some important two point seven million setting views. the table on this a little bit. Um, all of the drama was bubbling up before the Venice Film Festival for Don't Worry, Darling. Um, Shia LaBeouf was replaced by Harry Styles. Uh, horrible choice. Horrible decision. Yeah. One of the biggest fumbles, IMO. Um, it had to do, they didn't get along well together on set. Um, Shia LaBeouf wanted more rehearsal time, apparently. Um, and then there was disagreement between oh did he quit or was he fired because olivia wilde claims to have fired him he says he quit so lots of drama i Um, believe men so (laughs) exactly there's a there's a time for believing people there's a time for not believing people i believe everyone in this i'm I'm taking everyone's sides um i'm multi-partial so we're gonna do a frame by frame they're sitting down to enjoy if you can don't worry darling so Chris Pine and Olivia Wilde applauding as Harry Styles comes to his seat. Harry, very handsomely, he's adjusting himself. Clearly, there is a sort of thum as he purses his lips. Chris Pine, he's clapping. Oh, his hands go down to his Looks head. down. And okay, obviously, he's Chris Pine is fucking hanging. We can see the dick print. That's very important. Yeah. And and Olivia Wilde also looking down and he sort of consigns himself with, well, uh, that just happened. He has his he has his Marvel movie moment as Harry sits down and acts cool like nothing has happened. And Chris Pine, he sort of looks and goes, well, this is my fucking life, isn't it? I'm laughing. I'm in Venice. I got paid. I got my millions. All right. So what do you think? Spit or no spit? 
I guess. Sorry. I I don't. This is. Um, I guess he spat on him. I don't know. I don't mm. care. <laughs> what do you mean you don't this care? Is this is the drama. This is what the people need to hear. Um, you know, I, I, similarly, I didn't care at one point. But then I saw the movie and I am so uninterested in what the movie has to say. As like a online archaeologist, I feel like going back to look at who spat on who, who disrespected who, I'm like, this is interesting to me. This this juices me up because I don't know if you've also experienced this. Um, I've, I think I've talked about this on the show. I love gossip. I need gossip to survive. COVID resulted in a decline a dearth of gossip. This movie provided a, a public venue for more gossip to be in our lives. So I, I got juiced up by that. I agree. I, I was like, I didn't think the drama was like that interesting. I did like the, there was this one poster or not poster, but like this one uh, Instagram uh, person that I follow a me, a meme mod. I don't know what you say, but anyway, she's like worked with celebrities and she was like, she was sharing a email that she received from Shia LaBeouf directly that had like the sign off that was like with love and light or some, something very like specific and, and weird. <laughs> and that was the email that was like produced to be like, I did quit this and like all the all the kind of like back and forth with him and Olivia Wilde. So it makes me believe that Olivia Wilde is the villain here personally. This is the exciting thing about watching Don't Worry Darling, much like watching your Game of Thrones or whatever. There are sides to pick. You can say, I'm House Stark, I'm House Lannister, I be- I support Olivia Wilde, I su- of course I support Florence Pugh, look at me. Okay, bring it in. <laughs> I, I love Midsummer. Uh, of course, I said it then, I'll say it again, Florence Plow. she's one of the most beautiful women <laughs> you could look at. Uh, she's an incredible actress, and uh, she's both hot and good in this. You know, you know what I like about Florence Pugh? I'm a, I'm also a Florence Pugh stan, but I like that she's like, she is pretty. She's also very like normal looking. Yeah. So she has that like Amy Adams thing where she can both be like glamorous movie star and also just like regular degular person that you could like is believable in a role where she's not gorgeous. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You know, she can be in the fighter and she can be like some guy from Pennsylvania's girlfriend or she can be, you know, supermodel. She can be a Greek goddess. A little short to be a supermodel. Yeah. Make her a bit CGI. (laughs) A deep fake. Yeah. Legal extensions. Yeah. Do what they did in Julie and Julie and just cast really short people. (laughs) We can pretend Meryl Streep is tall. Um, I think I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, okay. And I'm going to say that Florence Pugh has had zero plastic surgery. I've done the analysis. <laughs> I've done the research. And I might be like, I'm nervous because I'm like, every time I say that, I find out somebody had a brow lift. But I really like I was looking at the I was examining with one of those like jeweler, you know, a jeweler's loop. A, yeah. <laughs> one of those yeah. that I definitely have. And I was just going over the negatives. Yeah, enhancing. Yeah, it's computer enhanced on the nose. <laughs> and I think it's I think it's uh, legit. I think, and you're going to like this, I think God made her that way for us to enjoy on the, on the big screen. I don't know if she's done TV work, but hopefully stay up there on the big screen. She deserves it. Um, of course, we're talking about Don't Worry Darling, one of the 
films of the year, which I said going into the movie. And I think I'm right. I think it was technically a movie released in 2022. Um, I don't think it's one of the worst movies I've seen this year. And uh, I I could argue, depending on my mood, because as soon as the movie ended, I was like, I fucking hate that movie. I still don't like it, but I I think there's probably some bigger stinkers out there, maybe that I haven't seen. Um, This movie also is not, in any traditional sense, good. And I think that is my favorite place to talk about a movie. Hi, Maple. Thank you for announcing yourself on the show. People, okay, people... Should we introduce ourselves? (laughs) The cat did. I feel like we're, you know, we've got a lot of material here. Some of it we're gonna have to fucking cut. I think we'll get to it. Um, You know, and I think that's, as a critic, as a a film viewer, as a film critic, I love movies like that. They're like a solid two-star experience. And you're like, why didn't that work? Or like, do I like anything from this? And how did it turn out that way? I'm your host, Evan. You know me. You know me. I host the podcast. Laura's back. How are you doing, Laura? Hey, I'm back. Caitlin's back. How are you doing, Caitlin? Good. Why did we want to watch this movie together? Uh, Florence Pugh stands. Yeah. And I think, honestly, when I saw the trailer for it, I got excited. Yeah. Yeah. We saw it before um, Crimes of the Future and we were both like, that could be really good. Could be really good. I love the like aesthetic of it, obviously. Uh, we're all in apartment therapy here. Um, and yeah, like I, I thought it was, I thought it was going to be at least okay. I really liked book smart too. I, I was also a book smart head. Yeah. Solid fun romp. Yeah. And yeah, we just, uh, we wanted to do an episode together and that's, uh, that's what we wanted to do. We're back again. I've, we've done an episode, all three of us before, right? No. Have we not? Done? I forget like every podcast immediately after I do it. <laughs> And like you could show me a list of episodes and I'd be like, okay, I guess so. <laughs> so it could have happened. It could have not happened. Um, but I'm happy that we chose this film. Um, I had not seen any of the trailers before watching the movie. And I went in thinking that, and I think thinking correctly, this is an Instagram movie. Like this is a movie to have like certain images exist of it. Like, and I think that's the way that Olivia Wilde went in directing it because there's this like uh, the house uh, at the beginning of the movie. I think it's like Chris Pine's character's house, Frank's house and Gemma Chan's house. Oh my God. Gemma Chan's in this folks. Are we talking about freaking beautiful women in this movie? Dimes. Yeah. Dimes. Dime square. <laughs> I don't know what dime square is. I'm sorry. I'm stealing valor. But like, I, I feel like I'm very online, but then there's parts of online that I don't get. And then everyone's like, I've had enough of this Dime Square stuff. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, but, I think I recommend uh, being offline. I just yeah. don't even, I don't know anything. But sometimes that goes really poorly because people will be like talking about the devastation of the hurricane. <laughs> and I'll be That's like. News. That's news. I- <laughs> That's current. That's true. Yeah. Well, I'm so. Where do you get it if you're not on? I know. I'm so. Because yeah, I'm watching the TV news. Support post media. Yeah. Get the national post. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not flipping on CTV Edmonton to be honest. I'm flipping it on to see Lisa LaFlem. No, they they fired. I I know exactly. Okay. Sad. (laughs) Or didn't I think she got like a part time deal to work at City 
to do some coverage for like a hurricane or some kind of event. Maybe she's in she's, Ukraine. She's a temp now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the gig economy. the face of, of Canadian news. <laughs> I am Lisa LaFlem, and you're reading this newspaper you just got handed after getting off the LRT. <laughs> yeah, but so I, I listened to this one conversation that Olivia Wilde was happening and having, and I think there's a few important things before we start talking about the movie. Um, about its development. So this is a script that was on the blacklist in 2018, which is like, it's this collection of scripts um, that are unproduced that uh, like a group of writers or like people in the film business get together every year, their submissions. And they're like, Oh, these are like the great unproduced screenplays. And it was a screenplay of this woman who, you know, realizes she's living in a simulation and needs to get out of it. And I don't, it was adjusted by Olivia Wilde afterwards. I can't speak to the quality of the original sort of like blacklist script, um, but that's what we have. And also, I think Olivia Wilde, yeah, film is a visual medium. I that, That's, you know, the beautiful combination of sound and, and picture. Um, but I think like so many people overlook the visual aspect of film. However, I think this movie has very good visuals. And I think that that is mostly what I have to assume is the driving force behind making it besides for like some of the story stuff, because like there's this house that they film at is like a famous like marvel of modern architecture or whatever, like a bunch of famous photographers have shot there. Um, and Olivia Wilde has a picture of it framed in her house. So she's looking at it and goes like, pretty nice. It's say. really nice. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, what if I shot a movie there? Yeah. So she was the first person to shoot a movie there. And this is what we have. It's a film of houses, yards, uh, desert, street, woman, man. That's the movie. <laughs> Cloud, sky. Uh, yeah. No dogs. Were there any pets? <laughs> No, there's no animals. No animals. No, I think like like it's like hard not to just like when I watch a newer movie, just compare it to like what I think are all the like evils of modern movies. And at least you could like see the people in this one. Like it was very bright. Yeah. <laughs> in a way that a lot of movies aren't anymore. And like visually beautiful. But I think like the symmetry and stuff is so. <laughs> it's like, OK, I've seen Wes Anderson movies I'm over symmetry. Yeah, I think. Visually, there's a lot to enjoy about the film. I think the costumes are pretty great. Um, and it feels like a lot of the technicians who made this film had fun doing it or yeah. like thought, you know, gave, gave some thought to it. Um, in terms of what it's servicing on screen or the dialogue, it's like, okay, that's the only thing to enjoy about it. It's <laughs> looking at pretty people having conversations. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I thought that people like the way that people were like shot in this movie was like kind of annoying. Like we were laughing at the start of the movie when uh, Chris Pine's character, I forget his name, Frank Frank uh, is on screen for the first time. And he's literally like shot from below. Like, you know, when like, like that video of that cat that's like looming over and the lights like coming up like underneath, you know, the classic uh, telling a scary story kind of vibe. Mo movie villains get shot from underneath. Yeah. It's just like a, you know, shorthand and it's like, he's really he's freaky. bad. It's just like, oh, do you think he's the bad guy? Do you think he's up to something? Do you think not everything is what it seems in this, you know, pleasant <laughs> suburbia that is like set in the 60s yet somehow, somehow like is like 
a racial utopia, of, like mixed race couples. As soon, like literally, as soon as I saw that, um, I was like, "This is set in now, right?" Like, yeah. It, it, I said, "Yeah, you were like, Laura just leans over, like, yeah, right." <laughs> Yeah, because like the the fact that um, I think race is a very interesting dimension of this movie. Um, but the fact that there's no like white dominated homeowners association that shows up going like, we don't think you're a good fit for the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or- well, and like, um, I mean, it's impossible, obviously, not to watch this movie or to watch this movie and not think of the Stepford Wives because that's yeah. obviously what it's like pulling from. And like the Stepford Wives also has like a race element in it. Like at the end, they're like, a black family is moving to our neighborhood. OMG. And it's like a big drama. And you're kind of left wondering if, you know, they'll step fortify this like black woman. Um, but obviously it's a black family. It's not just like a black lady who is like kind of used as this weird, like, oh, yeah. The like, listen to black women, yeah. believe black women, rather than like thinking about it more on like a yeah broader way. Mm-hmm. Y'all, black women have been screaming about the simulation. <laughs> they for, have been slitting their years. throats about this. <laughs> and y'all were too busy. You're, y'all were too white to listen. You're too busy getting your pussy ate by Harry Styles. <laughs> y'all are not ready for a conversation about how black NFT creators are mistreated in this space. <laughs> Frog emoji, tea emoji. Um, I want to talk a bit about the plot before we get into um, the the tangled web that is um, what this movie's trying to say and if it's of any valuable value. Um, and I, I do just want to speak to um, what you were saying earlier, Laura, the joke that you made about like, maybe not everything in the suburbs is like, as it seems, or maybe there's like something dark going on there because like th- to make this movie right now, like the, uh, the entire idea is laughable, right? Like all of this has been done. Um, expertly by like someone like david lynch where it's like oh let's talk about american suburbia and this fantasy versus like how it really is every kind of movie about that has been made and the new dimension to it is like not just like technology and the sort of like warped like capitalist like feminist perspective that is added to this um but uh, yeah, the, I'll I'll bring up uh, a really interesting thing that Olivia Wilde had to say about it when she was on Colbert after we talk a little bit about the plot. Um, the movie starts, you've seen it on the poster, you've seen it in the trailers. Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles are Jack and Alice Chambers. They're living... Florence Pugh. Who did I say? Olivia, Olivia Wilde. Wilde. Fuck. It's Olivia Wilde's the other one. I'm not going to cut this. I'm not going back. Um, <laughs> Olivia Wilde's in the movie. Um, but uh, it, she, she looks sure is. terrible in this yeah. movie. She it's, needs to gain like twenty pounds. She looks bad. Incredible how she looks. She just is too skinny. That's all. Yeah, I know. I think her face looks fine. Just needs to be softer. Anyway, that's <laughs> that's my opinion. I, I'm going to give my opinion on sort of the bodies and faces of women later in the episode. <laughs> um, but I want to you know preface it before we get into it. Um, Jack and Alice Chambers they live a beautiful life in a town called Victory. <sighs> Snooze. Um, it's, you know, picket, white picket fences, uh, beautiful cars, uh, vaguely fifties, sixties stuff, uh, no definite time period. Um, other people in this community, you got Chris, Chris, Chris Pine, Crisp Vine, (laughs) 
uh, plays Frank, no last name, uh, who runs the Victory Project, which is a mysterious organization or purpose or task that all these people are here to fulfill. What's the like uh, thing that they say they're like working on progressive progressive materials, materials, which is nothing, and it potentially involves mining. Um, because people leave town. All of the men leave town. They're writing the CRT curriculum, <laughs> producing progressive ah! materials for Alberta's teachers. Not anymore, not under Daniel Smith. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Lawrence Pugh is looking at the files and it says crucify white children on it. She's like, we need to, we need to tell the truth about this. <laughs> um, Olivia Wilde is Bunny, which I completely forgot about after seeing this movie that her character's name was Bunny. Kiki Lane is in it. She plays Margaret and Gemma Chan, the enchanting Gemma Chan, who we we know from Marvel's Eternals, plays Shelly, Frank's wife, um, who has one of the most whack lines of the movie that made me just go like, what's the fucking point of this film? Um, which, of course, we'll get to later. Um, you know, they're, they're living their life. They're a married couple. They don't want to have children. They're sort of playing around. They're having fun. Um, but maybe they'll have, maybe she'll have a baby put in her. We don't know. Um, and of course, uh, every movie like this, there's, there's a mystery going on. She's getting weird visions. Um, there's people dancing, there's irises, um, people swimming and the audience is supposed to go, Whoa, what's that? And you're like, she's being programmed into believing something. I, I wanted it to be schlocky. I, I was in the theater praying to God that this movie would have aliens in it. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, yeah, because we were we were trying to put in our guesses up up at the top. And at one point, you know, she's walking around the town, Florence Pugh is, and she like goes and tries to like put her finger to the edge of the town. And then I guess that it was like a, a village type situation where mm-hmm. like you can't go you know, on the other side is like a normal part. You were like, oh, it could be post-apocalyptic. I think mm-hmm. you were saying like, I mean, I thought it, or I thought, or I wanted it to be like the men were like making a bomb or something. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, like, I want yeah. it to be kind of like a Cold War thing. Yeah, a bomb yeah. that targets only women. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we are going to bomb Sheville. <laughs> the white woman extinction fund—that's what the victory <laughs> project was for. Yeah, like I don't know, because obviously you're dealing with those aesthetics which are politicized. Um, and I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if like. Either they leave the desert and it's like charred wasteland, like somehow they just live in a bubble that was protected from radiation, or she wakes up in a hospital bed and there are a bunch of gray guys going like blah 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 blah, and like she gets put back to <laughs> sleep. I would have shot up in my seat and clapped if they had like a really cool alien, um, because I dreaded knowing that it was going to be dumb. Yeah, like, and it was so dumb. Yeah. Um. So. Basically, um, how the movie progresses is, and again, not much plot. It's very flat, and the characters aren't that interesting. So you can't really say, oh, it doesn't have plot because there's this incredible character going on. It's mostly Florence Pugh questioning what is going on in Victory. What is the Victory Project? What's going on with her neighbors? Um, She has maybe one black neighbor played by Kiki Lane. There might be another. I'm not sure. Um, but she gets to have the excellent trope of black martyrdom where uh, she will be the first victim of this system, but also she had uh, a wisdom from beyond 
that gained her that she knows that something is bad here. Um, so well, she, she wandered off into the desert. Yeah, she wanders into the desert with her fucking kid, which is the one rule, the one rule that you can't wander off into the desert. Tonight, Don't get black woman magic. Yeah. Sorry, black girl magic. As the Joker said, tonight you're going to break your one rule. You're going to walk into the desert. You're going to touch the headquarters. Um, so she has a kid who's dragging a little red airplane behind him. In the sky, Florence Pugh sees a red airplane that looks like it crashing. This has made me insane since <laughs> watching the film. There's so one of the only i i i can't, I, I think I can't you explain should, it i think okay let's speed through this <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> because okay Flores Pugh sees the plane plane's going yes. down she goes up to go be like what's what happened with the plane we got to go she fit, touches help, the headquarters. help those people she help, touches the headquarters she something happens to her well, something uh, bad happens to yeah, her and then she's starting to have like crazy visions blah 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 she goes on um, to try to discover more things, trying to, you know, figure it out. Long story short, it is present day. Yes. Harry Styles, her her husband, who's her provider and her everything, got red-pilled on the internet <laughs> <laughs> by Chris Pine, who then basically... Um, Dr. Jordan Pinerson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, who basically created this uh 1950s simulation so that they could like you know return with a v uh and then um florence Pugh kills him and then Gemma chan kills frank and says now it's our turn which i which she says now it's my turn (laughs) which is like what does that mean is like because obviously this is like a, a war of the sexes thing but it's like is she like now I'm in control of the simulation or is she like now I'm taking agency, but she's also like murdering this guy, but it's like, she's complicit for the whole thing. Yeah. And she's like his attack dog. But now she's like, I'm she, stupid man. She wants to take, <laughs> she wants to take over the Patreon for his podcast is what he wants to do. Uh, and yeah. So basically like, Florence Pugh used to be a doctor. Now she's a housewife. And now she's like, you had a life and it was mine. I could go to work. And then everybody wakes up and it was all a dream. literally. (laughs) But if you if you die in the simulation, you're dead in real life. So, you know, and when they go to the Victory Project, they're going to work so that they can like work. They're going to like work at like email jobs. Like that's the crazy part. Like they're not building a bomb, which would be cool. They're going to like. I don't know, look at Reddit while they sit in an office. Like <laughs> browse Amazon yeah. while they're while they're col- you know completing a report. They're playing like like internet billiards on their computer <laughs> and working for like Minesweeper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Space Cadet Pinball. Yeah, yeah and you gotta like I liked when they were like, you have to take care of your wife's body and he just like put some water on a rag and was like, There you go. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Get my my drip meal, like it's basically a hamster thing, but the hamsters have it better. Like you know, when they get their little fucking water drop or whatever. Blah blah blah. blah. Um, yeah, this movie is so fucking dumb. Um, and I think what made you crazy is that they never explained the plane. They never explained the plane, and like I am open to. Of course, I love ambiguity in a movie. I'm open to like you know presenting like a an image or something, and then it's like oh. What does this mean? But the movie is also very committed to its like reality, right? Where it's like there's the simulation and there's the real world. 
So this woman leaves with her son and then comes back after being reprogrammed and is killed. Um, before that, we see the plane. So, like, this is also a thing of, like, video games, right? Because this is basically, like, the metaverse or the second life, like, some kind of game. How is this... Did this woman temporarily free herself and then send a plane emoji in the chat? And then it's like, <laughs> oh, the crashing plane. Because it's like, did she design that? Like, what is going on? Because the plane leads to the headquarters. So it's like, if this woman is, like leading her to the headquarters to learn the truth of this world, then it's like, how could she have done that if she's back in the thing? And it's it doesn't make any sense. So it made me upset, and I I was firmly anti-movie at that point. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, okay, whatever. Fuck the plane. Fuck me. Yeah. Uh, I felt like for the first probably like 45 minutes, I was like, this is okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm happy to see a movie that isn't, you know, the same like Marvel movie or IP that I've seen before. And I was like, it's not that bad. Like Harry Styles is a terrible actor. Yes. Uh, I think that Shia LaBeouf would have been sick. (laughs) And uh, I thought it was going to be like, I thought it was going to be fine. But then, yeah, when the, when they were like revealing how the red pilling and the like trad kind of things, it was so like flat and it just, we we all laughed like yeah. we were cracking up in the theater um, because it was so dumb. Yeah, sorry to the four other people who were there. <laughs> I wanted someone to leave that theatrical experience going like, you know, a lot of people were laughing and having fun. I thought it was a really interesting film. Like it really made <laughs> they me. They probably were thinking that. Yeah, because people are so fucking dumb now. <laughs> yeah, like what are men doing on the computer? Because. That's one of the things that <laughs> Because like this is the thing, it the movie has the right politics yes, for the exactly. moment, right? Yeah. For someone to be like, this is a good actually movie, not a bad actually movie. Like something like our movie we're going to talk about next week with Blonde, where mm-hmm. people are like, that's bad actually, mm-hmm. um, because it has bad things. Bad happen. things happen to people. Bad things happen to people. But this one it is good because she gets her job back. She has to show up back to work. She gets to dance alone in her apartment. So that's feminism. I learned this thing about people who go into comas because obviously she's been in this thing for a while. Um, Honestly, if you're in a coma for years, you don't want to wake up because you wake up and the muscular degradation that you've experienced, like your whole life is going to be fucked for years. It's like if you've reached past a certain amount of years, it's like you're going to be bedridden for the rest of your life. Really? Like, yeah, because like your your body just forgot how to move and it's like you've you don't have any muscle anymore. So, and like even talking or doing facial expressions is very difficult. So, I've decided, you know, if it hits a certain point, just unplug me. <laughs> and especially with this, if like she wakes up and it's like, "Oh, you've actually been in this for like 10 years." <laughs> it's like I don't think that's happened in the time frame of the movie because like we see her and it's like she just looks like normal Florence Pugh because she's been, you know, her body's been taken care of. She gets her water meal. She gets <laughs> uh, I don't know, a little kiss on the forehead maybe. <laughs> yeah, um you wake up one day, it's the 1950s, you're a housewife. Do you like this or no? Yeah. That, like that was <laughs> No, like that was that was like my I think my main criticism of the movie is that it's like portrayed as like, well, only the men would like this. And it's like it has no like. I just like I just spent most of the time being like, you don't have to look at your 
You don't have to be on your phone. Like, this is all I want is to be free from being on my phone. And these women just get to, like, listen to records and cook and clean. I don't know. I just think. Versus being a doctor and working 30-hour shifts, I would like to be a housewife. I, I think that, like... It just doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have, like, a meaningful criticism of modernity or, like, why a woman would enjoy that also, which they might. Yeah. I think there kind of is in that character, Bunny, who's there because her kids died, it's implied. So now she gets, like, simulation kids. Um, So I think that there's, like, some aspect of that. But I feel like, yeah, like, obviously, this, like... The, the role being foisted up upon you of like housewife. There's a reason why everyone was like fucked up on Valium. <laughs> like, there was a very like repressive situation. I am not a return person as much as I play one on, on the internet. <laughs> um, but like there is, there is certainly something very nice about being like, we're in a family where we can have a home and everything that we need on one salary. And there is someone like taking care of like the domestic sphere and someone taking like someone going out into the work. I would love to do that if I had children or something, my mom stayed home with us. And like that kind of situation is like rapidly disappearing because it's just like impossible to be able to like um, support a family on, on a single income. And that's like, yeah, like it shouldn't be like the expectation on you that you like are in this very like rigid kind of role, but it totally makes sense why somebody would want to like, like have their labor be somewhere outside of the marketplace. Yeah. And I think that that is like the, the interesting conflict between like, modernity and this sort of like patriarchal you know rose-colored glasses vision of the past is like it's it's compelling and there's very little bit of it in the movie when it's revealed and it's commentary on it it's like there's like only like maybe two different perspectives on it and they're just sort of like quickly brushed away because florence Pugh realizes she had this life as like a surgeon or whatever um and obviously feels betrayed that she's been put in the fucking, uh, you know, housewife machine. Um, but then, yeah, like you're saying, we get Bunny who's like, oh, I chose to be in this because life is too hard and I wanted my children back. But like those two characters being separate was weird to me because Bunny gets nothing to do in the movie besides for like revealing this piece of information at the end. Um, and I think the movie would be a lot more interesting and a lot more unsettling if like, you know, a character discovers this and like the central character and decides to like stay or wanted to come in the first place. But instead we get this like very black and white narrative of like patriarchal, patriarchal control um, where, you know, Lawrence Pugh against her will gets put into the, the housewife machine Um and you know has a great time there and like the men have to labor for it and then like the men have like are painted with a very simple brush in this movie um and i thought that like not to and and i don't know the the movie can't take up a position like on like what it like why is the modernity better like why is having your your life in your own hands like 
better or like what what is she fighting for and like well i i don't know she's like killed her husband so it's like what what's life gonna be like on the other side and like i don't know the the freedom of it obviously is compelling you know get out of the fucking simulation and everything but um you know it i i feel i feel left wanting i i feel like there there isn't much of an interesting sort of like feminist perspective uh to this because olivia wilde was talking about how um it, it's a movie about like complicity and like oh she exists in the system that really benefits her but she's like complicit in it and it's like okay like it, with it, it doesn't make any sense within the world of the simulation because there are no like oppressed people almost within the world of the simulation besides for like her and the other women there. So it's like, she's not really benefiting from this where she's like medicalized and, you know, put on a bunch of drugs and like, you know, having her whole life controlled so she can listen to records and cook. But like, I just, I felt it was so empty. I don't know. I think that, yeah, like we were saying, if she had to, I thought that the ending was going to be because she's having this like moment with, with Harry Styles, her husband. And, uh, where she's like, like, I do love you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, is she going to be like, all right, let's stay here. I really thought that might happen. And then she like bashes his head in with a whatever, a paperweight. <laughs> I don't have a paperweight. <laughs> what am I going to no do? No one has with- paperweights these days. <laughs> Very Clue-esque death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's just kind of like, yeah, I agree. Like, it was just like the exact kind of ending to a plot that I guessed in the first like five seconds of the movie. And I I literally said to you guys, I was like, they're trad. That's what mm-hmm. that's what it is. It's going to be like a movie about trad guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I also really liked um, talking about the men in this movie for a little bit. Um, when the wives are like realizing something's going wrong and Florence Pugh's escaping and the men are like standing in their driveways and like, no, this wasn't supposed to fucking happen. It's like, is is like this is as far as the movie can go. Like, obviously, like movies about incels or like the the manosphere people, I'm I'm always very curious because like there's been a like I don't know. I don't want to say you can't mock these people. Of course you can mock these people. But I think the the things that lead these people towards believing in these like very like insidious ideas about the ways that society ought to be organized, it's always treated in this very like flippant way. Like Harry Styles, like he loses his job or whatever, and then like he instantly becomes like, I I wanna kidnap my wife and like put her in the thing. <laughs> like, what else do we want to talk about? before we get into recomradations. Yeah, I just thought the cast was weird. Mm-hmm. Like, no, like having Nick Kroll and Kate Berlant, who are both like really funny, just like in these like minor roles where they don't do anything, it just like made me like depressed. I'm just like, is that what Kate Berlant wants for her life after being like a really, I don't know, like funny sketch comic? I don't know. I just thought like the, the script in general was really poor. Like that's like maybe the worst aspect of it is the script. Yeah, I felt like a lot of the actors were, most of the actors were like underutilized except for Harry Styles who was like way overutilized for the amount of like charisma and and, uh, acting chops which he had, which was zero. Um, I I thought there was just like so many scenes that involved him in pivotal moments that were just like not good. Yeah, like 
theoretically, the man's an international pop sensation. Uh, I don't think that translates to acting ability. And like, you could make, I think the movie asks you to reevaluate his like whole performance once you see him outside of the simulation. And it's like, oh, he's this like schlubby doofus um, who uh, he, he got the uh, appearance enhancer option when he went into the simulation, which is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Nationality, British. <laughs> British, isn't it? Like, uh, I, I want to be a cool guy. Um, and talking about sort of the out of the simulation world a bit more, uh, I was personally offended and I made this known when we were in the theater because it pans out of him like hunched over his keyboard to show a massive, and I have to say beautiful poster from Russia with Love, one of the best <laughs> Bond movies. And Olivia Wilde is making a statement going like, men uh, are products of the media they consume and James Bond is problematic. So he is going to join a like, fascist cult to be a really cool james bond guy why why does olivia wilde think james bond is bad uh because it's like patriarchal and women are sex objects or whatever and it's something to yearn for i guess so he's like i wish i could be cool and be like james bond so i'm gonna be a cool british guy in the simulation and oh, okay. this will be like cool and normal i guess i wasn't uh I, I didn't get there. <laughs> I'm not literary enough to have understood that. <laughs> not literary uh, enough to watch uh, Sean Connery shoot a guy. I'm like, oh, that's what I think about that. <laughs> I also think that, like, well, speaking of, like, sex objects, there was, like, a very intentional, like, almost, like, to the degree, degree of it being, like, grotesque uh, emphasis on, like, cunnilingus and, like, like, trying to create, like, Harry Styles as the object of, like, of like desire in the film and it didn't work. <laughs> I I like that part makes me crazy. Like the only like th- I obviously I knew very little about Spitgate, but all I see on Twitter all the time is Olivia Wilde thinking she invented eating pussy in movies. <laughs> and it's like that's not e- it's like not even top 5 pussy eating movies or scenes in movies I've seen. Like grow up. Number 5. <laughs> <laughs> top five yeah. Number four will blow your mind. (laughs) It's so funny because like, I I don't know. Uh, I I understand that like Olivia Wilde has gotten a lot of scrutiny in the lead up to this movie. And I will will accept in a way that male directors do not. Um, David O. Russell, for example, has a new movie in theaters and he has content warning. Skip 10 seconds ahead if you don't want to hear mentions of sexual assault. He's admitted to sexually assaulting his trans niece. Um, and is regularly one of the worst people to work for in Hollywood. But there's no there's no media circus around David O. Russell's new movie coming out. But I, and there are very few women who are given movies at like this budget level. Um, and many of them have been flops recently for reasons out of their control, like Wonder like Woman, being a woman, being for a woman, example. the gender uh, assigned flop at birth. <laughs> um, <laughs> Eternals and you know the new Wonder Woman and everything because of COVID, big old flops. Um, so I don't know because of the the certain feminine gaze uh, directed on these movies. But I I think that I will I will grant her that. I think that that is added to like some of the some of the hysteria around this. But she is also fed into it 
where she knows how these media cycles work about these movies and drawing like any press is good press and talking about how like, oh, men don't come in this movie. Like it's women only who are getting off. Like in the context of this film, that's like it's in. I want to give it credit and say a gray area of sexual assault because she's being held against her will in this. In the simulation, she's enjoying it. Outside of the simulation, this is a crime. So, like, what? Like, what's? What am I supposed to do with this information now? And like, it. And it is that sort of like mindset where it's like men aren't going to have fun in this movie. Like, it's our turn. Like, it, it feels very like tone deaf and like very like dated. Yeah, that that feels accurate. I just like. I don't know. I found it. I found it like very like conspicuous and kind of annoying. And I also thought that like what Olivia Wilde did with like saying like the whole like was Shia LaBeouf can't like being like being like I, I fired him because I want everyone to feel safe on my set. It's just like that was very like craven to me. And I feel like, yeah, maybe it's true that uh, men don't get as much scrutiny, but also like. I think that does deserve like some pushback because it's a really like disgusting like appropriation of like the the I mean, you know, it's it's just like co-opting this like this like moment and it's such a like 2022 kind of like thing to do mm-hmm. on on your film set in this way that is both is like kind of just like narcissistic and sort of sadistic. And I will, I will say, I do not know the ins and outs of the FKA Twigs Shia LaBeouf like assault thing. I, I can't say one where he probably did it based on you know dynamics. But big here, but Shia LaBeouf's a great actor. Yeah, <laughs> many such cases here. of men who beat their wives who are good actors. Exactly. That's that's exactly what I was gonna. I have my hand like up in the air because yeah. I was like, here's the thing: craven, sadistic. All descriptors of film directors I love. Yeah. <laughs> if the movie was amazing yeah. and she was craven, sadistic, a manipulative, like exploitative person, that's like an auteur. Like, yeah. fuck yeah. yeah. Let's go. <laughs> you know? Treat all of your actors like Kubrick treated Shelley Duvall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shining. Totally. But yeah. Like, if you're going to make a movie that good. Yeah. And I mean, go for it. I don't care. Honestly, like if you put yourself in the director's seat, it's like so much is riding on you. The fate of your career depends on the success of your last movie. Um, everybody loved Booksmart. Okay. Going into my sophomore feature, I really have to knock it out of the park this time. And the way that she talks about her style of directing is so bad to me. And like it, and at the very least, at the very least, does not create movies I'm interested in watching. Um, because she did one of these like, um, like notes on a scene YouTube videos where they were talking about the dinner scene, which she cites as the best scene in the film. So I'm like, okay, I didn't like that scene. I didn't like the movie. And that was while they were editing the movie, they were like, this is the centerpiece scene of the entire film. The confrontation that uh, Florence Pugh has with Chris Pine going like, I know the truth about this. And then Chris Pine's like, you went to headquarters and you slept with me, which I weird oh i Um, forgot that happened yeah when did she sleep with him she didn't he was like lying and be lying but gas gaslighting (laughs) um so um she's talking about how difficult it is to stage a dinner scene that's like exclusively dialogue quote 
We're asking the audience to focus for several minutes on a group of people sitting around a table. That can be really terrifying because the audience will get bored. So you have to continue to inject energy into everything. The performances, the music, the camera movement. So wrong. <laughs> that is so... Yeah, Caitlin, just like if you have a good script. Yeah, Caitlin and I just watched a movie, a French movie from like 1962. That was just a priest and a woman talking just having conversations that's like, movies literally it nothing else happened and yeah. it was great you know what the first movie that i thought of speaking of french was love in the afternoon uh i don't know if you've seen it i forgot the fucking director's name but he's like famous or whatever and he has these like eric romare um and he has these movies called his moral tales where it's like french people in complicated situations and like this one is about like it, cheating and like the hardship of that and like you know you get this interesting workplace thing and the camera movement is like so beautiful and so restrained and it's like that's what i'm all about but like this thing of like i need to keep throwing shit at people because thinking about that dinner scene in particular that rang so hollow for me because it's it goes so fast and the whole problem of the movie like you were talking about before caitlin is the script and if you're having, I've been I've been in a very minor Hitchcock phase. Um, I think it's ever since seeing the Batman, because Matt Reeves, you're laughing, and I would be laughing if I was not me. Um, Matt Reeves was talking about how he was like shaping the movie like a Hitchcockian thriller, and I was like, that's that's so true. And I was like, and I, I was like, interesting mystery films are so driven by point of view. And, like, the way that information unfolds needs to be, like, rooted in character and, like, their headspace. And that's, like, what you want the audience to feel. Um, and, like, I was watching The Birds, and that's, like, a perfect example of that. Um, and this movie, I feel like, tries to be, like, Hitchcockian in that sense and completely fails. Because it's theoretically a movie about this woman, like, peeling back the mystery about and the power dynamics of where she lives to get to like the rotten center of it and want to like face that truth and then escape or embrace it. Um, and from 10 minutes in the movie, you know, Oh, it's, it's going to be this. Right. And then the movie, I feel like is so one note for most of it where it's like, Oh, I'm being controlled. I'm being controlled. I'm being medicalized. They're keeping secrets from me. And it's like, it's the same thing just in different ways. It's not like a next level of this control or anything. And then the dinner scene is just like, it, it's not like an, I think what would be interesting is like, Oh, you have this like, you know, chess game between these two, like mental, you know, gymnastics of like, how do I break out of this without getting fucking killed? Because there are these people in red outfits who will like take you away if you do something wrong. But she just goes like, Oh, uh, this is like all fucked up and you know, it's bad. And I went here and you know, whatever. And then she gets taken away anyway. And it's like, and then she can easily outrun them <laughs> by the end of it. So it's like, there was no danger. There's, or there's very little danger, even though the movie's telling us there is a lot of it. So I feel like it's just script wise and direction wise. It's just, there, there's no tension. And that's what the movie needs to have is like tension and mystery. And like, you need to be engaged with it. But her version of being engaged with the movie is like, oh, look at this, look at that. Blah, blah, blah. Instead of like, what are people dealing with like it's and that's a script issue so yeah totally and i felt like in that dinner scene as well like there's the part where she's being like there's a bunch of couples around and she's saying like uh how did you guys meet and it's always the same story whatever but she already knows the answer and i'm like we never 
saw any like glimmer of that happening. Like we never got any kind of like kind of glitch in the matrix kind of like scenes of like double takes or whatever. It's just a, a, a lady, sta- uh, the, the black lady we were talking about staring off into the distance. That's it. That's the only thing of being like, something's not what it seems, you know? Let's get into our final thoughts on Olivia Wilde's Don't Worry Darling, Gaslighting the Movie, um, you know, hus- Husband Machine, Housewife Machine. What do you think? I don't know. I want to live in the simulation, but it's a bad <laughs> movie. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I really liked the teak furniture in it and the light blue, like robin egg blue. That's something I really remember. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was... You know what? I wasn't sad that we saw it. I will say True. that. I I, I, ha- I had a good time hanging out with you guys and watching this like pretty forgettable movie. Doing Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah. <laughs> Live in the theater. It was a great in-theater in experience. Uh, like, was I... I was very bored by it, but it was funny. And it makes choices that will it'll make you laugh. So it's, it's a good comedy. Uh, pretty to look at. Uh, I... You know, I think we were all looking at the furniture, all looking at the houses saying, I want that. Um, so I think it succeeds on that level. Let's get into recomradations, fan favorite segment where we talk about the pieces of media, life experiences, or anything else under the sun that we've enjoyed this week that we want to pass along to you, the keynote left your audience. I can start this week. Um, I, so I'm a bit, I'm late on recomrading this because, uh, you know, the show gets recorded when it gets recorded. Um, but Rina Sawayama, Rina Slayawama, uh, as her Twitter name implies, it doesn't imply that, just, that's her Twitter name, uh, released the perfect album, Hold the Girl, which I was listening to up to its release. It fucking rules. Uh, arguably the best British pop album of the year. Um, I was crying to it on the bus the other day because I was like, this is a good place to cry. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying. talking about how we've been saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this, this is actually quite powerful. And it like, it's about trauma but like in a good artistic way and it's not like boring and it, it goes to a lot of like different kinds of sounds. So it's not just like, my life sucks. It's like, you know, Oh, all these different things. And what if I made a cool song about it? So hold the girl. Great album. Who wants to go next? Um, I can go. Um, most of the movies I've watched recently have been bad, so I won't recommend a movie. And the only TV show I've been watching is Seinfeld. So I'll recommend a book. Um, it's from a few years ago, but I just read it this week. I read it in like two days. Um, How Should a Person Be by Sheila Hetty is just like amazing if you want to like think about like philosophy and like why we're here and like art and why we create art and stuff, which is like an obsession of my life. So it's a great book. That sounds really cool. I read Motherhood and it was great. Uh, I think, you know, I was thinking about it on my way here, obviously, that was getting prepared for mm-hmm. for, for podcasting. And I was like the probably the best movie I watched us uh, like lately. Uh, I'm a big fan of the women dissolving into other women uh, kind of genre of film. So I watched Mulholland Drive. Great movie. But that's not that interesting to r- recommend. You should watch it for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think that the actual movie I was like surprised about was um, uh, Catch Me If You Can. I was in the Tom Hanks cinematic universe. I was I was watching You've Got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle. And then the recommended was like, you want to watch Catch Me If You Can? And I was like, I think I watched that movie when I was like 11. 
And it was so good. It's a Boxing Day movie, you know, like the kind you watch yeah. with your whole family. That's the last day I watch. Time I watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It's a Boxing Day movie. And yeah. I feel like they need to make more of those. We need to return to a time when Leonardo DiCaprio is dating age appropriate women. I don't actually care that he dates 25 year olds. I just, I was just, I was just saying things. He should anyway. be dating Monica Bellucci. <laughs> I should be dating Monica Bellucci. <laughs> Isn't Monica Bellucci like 70 years old? She's like 50 something. No, she's older than that. Oh, well, okay. Well, we can check. We'll, we'll, we'll okay. Jamie, anyway. Jamie, pull that up. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, catch me if you can. It was really good. It's an excellent choice. I am a big fan of Catch Me If You Can. I think I've only seen it the one time. Uh, Monica Bellucci, age 58. Oh, okay. Um, if she was 70, pass. <laughs> <laughs> Monica Bellucci, another person I believe has had no plastic surgery other than uh, breast augmentation. Perfect Which is why you thought she was 70. <laughs> At the age of 58. No. I just thought, no, I just thought she was like, had her heyday in the 80s. Oh, no. I'd, I'd say like mid to late 90s. Okay. My bad. So I was just placing her wrong in the timeline. We're, we're thinking about Monica. We're thinking about a lot She's, of people. You know, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Monica Bellucci. Gorgeous. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, hit Brave. my line. Monica, Brave. if you're listening, you know. If you're ever in Edmonton, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Thank you so much to both of you for coming back on the show. This was an absolute delight and absolute pleasure. Uh, I don't recommend watching the movie, but I'd, I'd say have it on mute maybe at some point. You know, if you're doing something else, if you're checking your email, you could look up and be like, okay, I'd say that's what it's good for. Yeah, they should play it like on the TVs in pubs. Yeah. It'll be beautiful to look at. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, you folks, we're not done with the Kino Lefter experience. Next week, you'll be returning to this very program to talk about Andrew Dominic's Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe, almost three-hour-long Netflix movie that has enchanted the world and or potentially divided it. I'm not sure yet. We'll have to see. Yeah, I think that that is going to... Stay tuned, because that's going to be a lot more exciting. That's going to be a real episode. It's going to be a real episode. This is, it's got a lot more to talk about. Yeah, stay freaking gripped to your podcast listening device of choice. Uh, it's, you know, it's been a lot of fun doing the show. Um, you know how to follow me on social media. Laura, how can we follow you? You can't. Exactly. Caitlin, how can we follow you? Uh, yeah, you can follow me, Caitlin underscore Joey on Twitter. If you want to keep this conversation going, you can join the Facebook group or the Discord, uh, a fun place to talk about movies. Um, and if you want more movie content patreon.com forward slash kino lefter i have a horrible halloween special planned so horrible in the sense that it'll be very uh it'll impact my negative health quite mentally to watch the movies that i have planned but it's go it's going to be horrific and you know that's the time to do it is halloween um so yeah i'm excited about next week uh thank you so much for listening and you know keep 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 it glued to kino lefter keep that dial turned to channel kino all right, that's the episode for this week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Kino Lefter is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. You can find great leftist Canadian podcasts like Big Shiny Takes, 49th Parahel, De Plancher de Vache, Habiti Please, Alberta Advantage, Tech Won't Save Us, and The Progress Report on the network. To find out more and become a supporter of the network, head over to harbingermedianetwork.com. Bye.